0: Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do.
1: G'day, Nina. How are you? Good.
0: Thanks, Andrew. We got a bit you?
1: distracted with another discussion, didn't
0: we? <laughs> <laughs> we got way too into the
1: material. <laughs> well, we worried there wouldn't be enough things to talk about. I know.
0: The tide's
1: turning. Yeah, it, it has. The last, uh, The last two breakfasts have been... Very action-packed. <laughs> very action-packed. running
0: out of time. For
1: that, that, I think we might just jump straight in, uh, I think. Casuals being terminated? Oh, me.
0: yeah. This is a funny case. So I think it's a very common situation. This was a casual who took a period of unpaid sick leave for mental health issues. The employer wasn't very happy about that and reduced their hours to zero, the casual then brought a general protections claim and the employer said, no, we didn't dismiss them.
1: But just step back a little bit, <laughs> because it misses the level of contention and bad behaviour
0: yeah. where, where
1: the, the employer fabricated a whole lot of arguments before they went in there, which were utterly unbelievable <laughs> as well. I think you should add that in because this yeah, is a case where the Fair Work Commission bending over backwards to give a smack in the chops to the employer yeah. to allow an employee's claim to proceed to the federal court. That's really it, isn't
0: it? Yeah, pretty much. Like... <laughs> I think they really attacked his mental health. Said, you know, because of your up and down moods, we just can't deal with you anymore. Though yeah. so they lied about that when it was put to them and said, no, of course we never said that.
1: So the <laughs> case decided that reducing casual to zero is is dismissal for the purpose of general protections
0: because they were using that as an excuse. It's not saying that you can't reduce casual hours to zero, and that that's automatically a dismissal.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah. So. There's not a lot of law in this case, and I guess what <laughs> Nina and I raised this case is because we don't want anyone going out thinking this is a precedent. No. What it does say is if you reduce someone's hours – because of a workplace right the person yep. exercise. So Nina raises me, it's not safe to come to work on, on a Monday here because it's noisy and I go, all right, don't come to work on Monday, full stop. Yeah, we'll just give you zero
0: hours. <laughs> <But> that <laughs> is definitely a dismissal.
1: Okay. And yeah. it doesn't matter whether it's a dismissal for a general protections. It's a treating someone adversely as a result of a workplace right. So, again, the case is a bit of a nonsense in a whole yeah. lot of ways because it doesn't matter if it was a dismissal or not, the person still would have had an entitlement to bring an adverse action. Yeah. But I know it's out there being spoken about in workplace land, saying very important case. <laughs> it's absolute <laughs> bullshit. That's what the that case is. <laughs> so let's move on to the next one. Oh gosh. All right.
0: Okay. So
1: this, this is our biggest case, isn't it, today?
0: I, yeah, I definitely say so. I think the facts aren't super interesting but essentially it was an employee in a social services business who had a phone while she's on call during the holiday period when she came back to work after she deleted all the stuff on the phone which was a breach of their policy because they said you know it could contain client information and she said look There was no client information on there. I was just deleting my messages and things like that. And during the investigation, they didn't really look too closely about what she said. They said, look, it's a breach of our policy. I think it's very important
1: during investigation they did not find whether the phone had or did not have.
0: Yeah, there was no evidence of it at all. And, And, I mean, they could have done, like, the forensic analysis and then but they didn't. But most importantly in this case, she said she wasn't aware of any clause in her employment contract that said there was an obligation to keep client information and she had no idea or did not understand the policy at all because no one had ever taken her through it.
1: Now let's stop them and consider the policy, which which oh. <laughs> which was described as being overly legalistic and complex.
0: Yeah, a lot of legal jargon in there and IT jargon and things yeah. like that. I think yeah.
1: I think one of the things, that one of the very first articles I wrote was called "Paper, Paper, Paper." When will the policy stop? But <laughs> <laughs> something like that. But it, it's this whole idea that people think you can protect a business by having a wad of documents described in very technical detail. Yeah. Um what people can and can't do, if a person can't read and understand something, it's not enforceable. Can I just make that yeah. really clear? Because the art of a direction is, not only must be lawful, but it must be reasonable. And to be reasonable, the person has to understand and be able to be competent in it. Yeah. So if I get a consultant to come in to build my policies and procedures, or worse still lawyers, and I produce policies and procedures which are incomprehensible to anybody which we see by the way daily yeah if you have those things they offer you no protection and i think as nina said that she's walking into work today she keeps laughing about it because she's seen so often policies like that condoned in the breach because nobody knows them including yeah, including,
0: yeah that's the crazy thing so, and that no one's trained in it and they've just turned a blind eye and we'll say you know what's your policy on this and they're like oh Oh, yeah, here, I've dug one up. And so know. what
1: happens is oh. Nina does something I don't like and I go down in my bottom drawer and with two hands because they're very heavy. <laughs> I pull out all the policies and proceed, boom, brush the dust yeah. off and go, now how can I get Nina? Ha-ha! Yeah. And then I do an investigation that doesn't investigate the relevant facts because the, the laugh about this case is she did not not comply with the policy or contract because there is no evidence that she, she removed looked, client records. Yeah. So this is a well-meaning organisation who technically tried to do the right thing, and this is a well-meaning person who tried to do the right thing with a completely flawed policy and investigative process and disciplinary process. So in a lot of ways it's an incredibly sad process because <laughs> I'm quite sure both the organisation and the person were good people trying yeah. to do the right thing, but they went to those dark policies.
0: Yeah, it's a crazy thing because in the decision itself they said, look... If it's a breach of a policy, that is a valid reason for termination. But the whole thing was just harsh because, like you said, there was no evidence, and even if it was, like the actual consequence was minimal.
1: Yeah. So, okay, well, uh, let's go to an anti-vax case.
0: <laughs> Your favourite.
1: <laughs> well, this, again, is a case that's hardly worth mentioning. I think the importance of this case is really that a person who had medical contraindications to AstraZeneca raised that as an issue and then failed to provide further medical information suggests that they were unable to take any further vaccination during the mandated vax period. Mm
0: -hmm. And then got terminated. And then got
1: terminated. There was a mistake made by the Commissioner at first instance around a certain set of facts around long service leave. The person went through a convoluted process of appeal, eventually got to the full bench and the full bench sort of looked sideways and said that she didn't produce any evidence during a mandatory vaccination period of your inability to take other vaccines
0: which means the decision wasn't wrong. Like picking up a tiny technical error that there was incorrect facts, they just rectified that and said, that's it.
1: Yeah, again, really a a decision we just put in there for fun. Um, I think what is exciting and coming up though, Nina, is um, the FSU, the financial sector union, a a union without a a meaning, (laughs) only has four basic clients, the four banks. Nonetheless, the FSU is is bringing a case against NAB around psychological hazards from excessive work Mm
0: -hmm. against managers
1: yeah interesting case can i just stop for a second and say nearly the whole of the professional services sector is at risk from this case yeah when you look at law firms we constantly work outside of 40 hours when you look at
0: it professionals things like that so this is a
1: case actually that has can have a lot very very significant yeah very very significant output and the most important part about it is, we, we, I think Nina and I have now been saying for six months, that psychological hazards is the doorway through yep. for excessive hours, and you might like to take over from there what the other two were saying.
0: Yeah. So in this case, they've brought it on behalf of middle level management. So I believe NAB is covered under an enterprise agreement, and for lower-leveled employees, any additional hours is paid as overtime. But for this level of management, they're paid a higher salary and the expectation is they just work reasonable additional hours, which could be like, you know, 10 to 16 hours a day or working on the weekend as well. And their FSU has said, look, that's not... Enough, and it's actually unreasonable the amount that they're expected to work. It's a psychological hazard because it's high job demand. And the reason this has come about is because NAB has poor resourcing and is just having, instead of filling roles, they're having people take on other people's duties. And so it's really only just been lodged. So it's really interesting to see where it goes. But I think it has huge ramifications like we're already seeing this in the education industry with the unions trying to use this as an example to step the foot through the door it hasn't succeeded thus far but if the FSU succeeds in this you're going to see claims against pretty much any company because everyone has these set off you know higher award salaries which set off everything so yeah look you really see basically in
1: education in, in outward bound activities yeah but we are seeing greater attacks and and on well,
0: teachers as well. Yeah, yeah, what
1: we are definitely going to see is psychological hazards used as an in indicia for saying what are reasonable additional hours. Mm-hmm. And that phrase has enjoyed a legal understanding. It's sort of a process where Nina and I can say, look, in this industry, reasonable additional yeah. hours would be between four to six a week because the cases sit around that. Yeah. This is eroding that understanding of yeah. what existed before. So it's really watch this space sort of case. Yeah, because,
0: Andrew, I don't think it's actually been tested before. We've talked about reasonable hours in terms of someone's capacity to do it if they have weekends, but no one has actually tested it as in the psychological effects on somebody.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> All right, very quickly, we're still going on cases. Look at this. <laughs> Negotiated exit case. This is uh Jerushan Leaper. Interesting case. Every day somebody realizes that they're not getting on with their employee and realizes it's not a quite Perfect fit, and they decide to have this informal conversation. Now, remember, we're talking about conversations with people who are captured under the unfair dismissal regime here, not the high earning, above the high earning threshold. Because for those people, if you're not happy with them, you just give them notice. Yeah. Okay. But I put them on gardening leave. Really, I think this has educated most of my children. This, this this particular case, which is where someone goes, look, Nina, it's not quite working out. Can we reach an agreement about your departure, which is respectful for you? And then he goes, hmm, didn't know I was underperforming.
0: Well, in this case, they did. They had two meetings beforehand, but she thought she was improving.
1: That's right. Yeah. Whatever it is, Nina's yeah. not going to be happy with the no. conversation that lands. <laughs> and in this case, the putative Nina was not happy with the conversation and brought an adverse action. But the person who was negotiating, the CEO, thought that everything had gone well.
0: Yeah, because Pro- it went all the way to the last page. Yeah. yeah,
1: and then the woman signed
0: off on the reference, signed off on the communications to everyone, and... Basically, it was almost signed, filled, and delivered. And then two days after agreeing to everything, she was like, no, I'm not going to sign
1: the deed. Yeah, and bought an adverse action claim. <laughs> yeah. So can I just say to you, Nina and I have different views about this, so we're going to share our different views. <laughs> My view is if someone's within the unfair dismissal regime, deal with them in the process that's meant to happen under there, terminate them, and then you can offer a deed and a respectful departure after that with the relevant communications. Because Nina's view is, well, look, you can judge when it's going to work.
0: Uh, yeah, so I agree with Andrew that there is a huge risk, but I believe that there are some circumstances when you've known the person very well, you've had the conversation and you can see that, look, they want the resignation more than you do. In those rare circumstances, and I stress rare, you can offer and have that discussion for deep. We always say have the discussion first and feel them out for offering it. And in that case, when there's little risk. Yeah. So that discussion for termination. That
1: discussion would really look like this. Nina, how do you think things are going? And Nina would go, what do you mean? And I go, well, do you think you're getting where you need to get? Do you think it's working? And then he goes, No. Uh-huh. Okay, well look, how can we work together? Yeah,
0: how do we, we how do we do this in a
1: way that's respectful? Because yeah. I think we agree with you. Okay. That's a time where you can say, well, look, let's organise a departure, communication, Just, you can do all those sort of things. But the answer is it's under a, a legislative regime. Yeah. The legislative regime requires you to do certain things. So my view is, except in circumstances where you have that level of confidence, and even then there's high risk, what's wrong with going along the termination path and me having the conversation with Nina and offering a support person saying, look, objectively, this is where we're up to. This is the stuff we've talked about before. You've had one warning around this. We've explained it needs to improve. It hasn't improved. Our view is it's not going to improve and on that basis. We're going to terminate your employment, but we'll pay you out notice, Da da da. Then he goes, I'm not very happy with you. I okay, go, good, okay, good. <laughs> well, look, we are happy to try and manage this in a way that looks after your future as well. We're happy to provide that bit of extra money, longer notice payment, whatever it is, and we'll give you a deed, and the deed provides us with a level of protection but that also fixes the communication that we have between us afterwards. Yeah. I'd prefer that way. But there are times, just remember, if you're dodging the hard conversation, know you're doing it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. If it's something that's working for the mutual benefit of both of you, do it. Yeah, I agree with
0: that. But
1: if you're dodging the hard conversation, know you're doing it and you're just creating risk.
0: Yeah, because... And also, even if the employee doesn't sign the deed, you've kind of played your hand. And then if they bring a claim, they're going to expect that minimum level in any kind of negotiation. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation. It
1: is. All right, let's go on to our topic for the day, which is the reckless director. I've got a case for you today, which is sort of one of those cases that you just read about and it's one that's used to go had a lot of joy with this case. Uh, well, not so much joy. This is we're not going to do it a liquidated company, are we? No, <laughs> we're going to do it a reckless <laughs> Yeah, we run out of time for that one. It's gone. This is a case called Cordell. And Brian Cordell was one of six directors and was the operational director within the organization. They were sand miners. Part of sand mining is you have pressurized hoses that wash the sand. Yeah. In this case, the hose, which sat about 4.5 metres above the ground, had a valve and the valve broke. And Brian Cordell, to fix the valve, decided he would use some earth-moving equipment, some front-end loaders, and stick two people in the front-end loaders up to 4.5 Gosh. metres to actually fix the valve. Now, this is something with a bucket, and you put two people in a bucket. Yeah. For those two people to communicate, they had to communicate to someone over here yep. to talk to the driver there to actually say how to lift it and move it—that's just as a start. Now, he didn't. Brian Cordell went home and thought about this, and then came back the next day.
0: This was his bright idea. This, this was
1: this was the cunning plan. His policies and procedures said he had to use mobile scaffolding or scaffold,
0: and a harness.
1: And a harness. Yeah. There was no harness involved with this. What happened? It was inevitable. For some reason, the bucket tilted slightly. One young boy jumped off to safety. The other guy became entrapped and his head was wedged, causing 160 sutures in it and significant ugly after things which caused him uh, psychological harm. What the judge said, finding him and the company reckless, was this. He said, you've got a policy and procedure that adopts industry standard. You went home and thought about this. This isn't something a spur of the moment. And it's not something you haven't done before. You've used this type of behaviour in the past. So you've got an utter disregard for the risk of serious injury, which is reckless endangerment. Yep. And gave him a six-month sentence in jail and suspended it, okay? Had he had a prior offence, he would have definitely gone to jail, okay? yeah. But my point about this case was this guy raised the argument the company can't be liable because it was his mistake, (laughs) which – Misunderstands attribution and, and it and literally, yeah,
0: that's literally what the statute
1: says. It's what the statute says. So it was a dumb argument, but the court couldn't get past the fact that a person who, in a premeditated way, ignores his own policies and procedures that adopt the industry set. It's actually a very beautiful judgment. It goes through and does. Yeah, it's
0: very detailed.
1: Reasonable practicability, and it says, you know, look, here's a hazard that's known. It's an obvious hazard that's known. Here is the level of risk. It's high. Here is the control, it's recognised. In fact, your policies and procedures define reasonable practicability. It is the correct method of dealing with it. Yeah. And you ignore it. So you breach your due diligence obligation. So you've got the primary breach duties done. Yeah. And goes on to say, well, but not only did you do that, but you were so clear that you, you just weren't interested at all in what was reasonably practical. You chose to do something knowing it was dangerous. Yeah. So... Had this boy been killed, it would have been industrial manslaughter because it has all the smell oh, yeah. of that utter indifference.
0: Yeah, that, and that, complete negligence Yeah, too. Yeah.
1: So pretty interesting stuff. And when we look at what's happening with the harmonising of law now where we are going to have industrial manslaughter in all jurisdictions, where negligence is going to become part of recklessness yeah. and where in all jurisdictions very shortly all insurance are gone, this is the sort of case which will percolate well beyond reckless endangerment in the future if there is a death.
0: Yeah, and I think the important thing from this is, Andrew, it's not that uncommon, like yes, the slight facts might change, but this kind of situation is happening in businesses, particularly smaller family-owned businesses, every day because they're prioritising operations over safety, yeah. even though they're well aware of the risks and they have clear policies that say they need to
1: step up their game. Yeah, and look, that's the reason we talked about it. That's yeah. the reason we chose it as the main theme today is it is a constant theme that comes in front of us where people have decided to do something to get the job done. Yeah. And it's often in a family business, it's the the owner of the business who says, look, I'm just get on with it, just get the job yeah. done. But we also see them in very large-scale businesses mm-hmm. where there is a cost you know where there's money burning, and someone says, "Look, can you just cut through this and just go and get it done?" But, but
0: the costs, I think, for this you said it was like four thousand. Four thousand to get it done safely. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's
0: the cost of That's that it. person's injuries, I guess.
1: Gosh. So there you go. All right, we're going to give this a bit of a run now, and we're the going to go study. off, go off the case study, where we'll revisit this problem again. <laughs>
0: So, Ken was the head of operations for Love the Load, LTL, a heavy earth-moving contractor. LTL had operations throughout Australia and supported major builders at its Brisbane Port site, the largest non-mining excavation in Australia. The EPA had stopped work at the site because of high chrome, mercury and asbestos levels in excavated soil in the old foundry in February 2023. The delays in excavation were leading to delay costs on LTL. Ken flew up from Sydney to reduce the damages risk. When he arrived on site, he noticed the <coughs> major area of excavation had not commenced. He asked his site foreman why. The foreman explained the road to the site needed fresh rolling and grading and that cement culverts needed to be installed beside a bridge to manage water flow in the event of heavy rains. Ken looked up into the sky, said to the foreman, there's no rain today looked over at the large mobile crane and asked why we couldn't use it to move the culverts. The foreman said the weight was within the crane, but the road meant lateral movement would make it unsafe. Ken and the foreman drove down the road to the excavation site. It was bumpy, but not too bad. Ken instructed the foreman to have the crane move the culverts in place and start rolling and grading. The foreman again raised the weight issue, so Ken said, let's get one up and see what the control says. The culvert was lifted and the crane dial showed it was 85% of load. Ken told them to get a move on. He walked with the crane on the way down to the bridge. Several times along the way, the crane alarm system beeped, suggesting the movement of the culvert overloaded the crane. Nonetheless, the crane successfully moved the culvert into place. Ken directed them to do the next one, and part of the way down to the bridge for the next concrete culvert, the crane lurched sideways and fell, crushing the foreman and dogman who accompanied it.
1: All right. Not, not, not only for me, a set of facts. No. The what, you know, the yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: Canberra Hospital. So the company d- had detailed policies and procedures which if followed by Ken would have prevented the incident. The foreman tried to enforce these policies and procedures. Can the company still be liable under safety law?
0: Yes, because the policies are evidence that they knew what was reasonably practical.
1: Well, it's interesting. If the company had repeatedly done the right thing beforehand, and the actions of Ken were so outside of what had occurred, there was an argument that only Ken could be liable.
0: But if Ken's liable, isn't the company liable?
1: Well, no, attribution only works to the extent you can carve out attribution if you can demonstrate everybody else was competent and the business is competent. The difficulty here is that Ken is an officer. So Ken is the company.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and also, like, the company is definitely the one who's done the behaviour. Like, Ken's directed them too, but... The other, yeah, yeah, they uh, trying um, to resist.
1: I'm just saying. So
0: I feel like that would be very difficult to run. Yeah,
1: well, there's been cases that have been successfully run, not where it was an officer, but where it was an employee. You did something. Yeah, some, I feel like that makes. sense. And I, I guess that's the point of this question is to show when it's actually the officer who does it, which is the mind of the corporation.
0: Yeah. At
1: that stage, then the company is most definitely liable.
0: Yeah, because if it was like a random employee, you could say they were an outlier.
1: That's right. But mm-hmm. this is the, the only mind. So anyway, look. Both of them would be liable under attribution. So, the next question is: Ken is an officer of LTL. Is he in breach of his due diligence obligations? Now, the answer is yes. pretty easy: yes, isn't yeah, because he it? He knew but
0: of the risk.
1: <laughs> I, don't know, I understand that, <laughs> but let's talk about what it is. I just want to be clear about what his due diligence obligations. So, was Ken aware of the high risk involved in? Yes. Yes, he was. They so,
0: told him about
1: it. Yeah. Not only did they tell him, so in Victoria, he was on liability under 144 because Because he'd been told told, and he had the power to influence and control it. So he's definitely liable under 144 in Victoria. In every other jurisdiction, he had the objective knowledge Mm -hmm. of the nature of risk that he was directing to be undertaken. He had a knowledge of the law or ought to have had a knowledge of the law that applied to it and he ought to have known what the resources that ought to have been applied to doing it and he knew there was a system and he should have followed it. Yeah. Okay, so he's definitely in breach of the due diligence obligation. So is Ken guilty of a Category 1 reckless endangerment?
0: Yes, because he engaged in reckless conduct that puts someone at serious risk of injury or death.
1: Okay, and the reckless, we talk about that, so... He was indifferent to the risk. He was indifferent to the nature of the risk. Mm -hmm. So, in fact, how indifferent can you be when you hear the beeping of a crane going? And this is what Aaron, what this is... Queen versus what the, the, the yeah, industrial yeah. manslaughter case was about, where a crane went down a track, it was overloading and it was actually sending alarm signals as it was going and it had happened in the past. They'd used this crane in the yeah. past in the same way and what was charged with industrial manslaughter because yeah. it eventually fell and caused death. So, yes. Okay, next. but so it's
0: not just the beeping. Like the foreman raises that, look, these are the risks and you can't do it, it's unstable. So it's many different oh, it layers is. of It is. So many different things. Yeah. yeah.
1: Is Kim guilty of industrial manslaughter? So
0: it needs to be negligent, breach of duty.
1: And such a wanting of standard of care. Yeah. So what we've got to look at is a high degree of negligence and a, a complete want of standard of care. And if we go back to the basic standard of care. That results in death, yeah. Yeah, so what is that? Is there a hazard? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's, there's a multitude of hazards. And, and they're, they're high risk. And they're all exceptionally high risk. Mm-hmm. He was put on notice of the risk actually while it was happening. So he if he wasn't aware of the risk, during the time, at the time of decision-making, he was at the time it was occurring could have stopped it. Yep. What was the control in place? To stop. The only control was not to proceed, okay? It, yeah. It was the only elimination strategy that had to wait. He didn't do that and he, he had the resources. He had the power to do that. So it was so wanting in that reasonable practicability.
0: Does the fact that he got them to kind of like test it, like
1: – but the test actually gave greater knowledge of the risk that was involved because it actually had the beeping.
0: Oh, so the beeping, but as in the fact that it didn't fall, yeah. doesn't in itself like mitigate.
1: No, no. In the fact, test. the fact it doesn't fall, it's just luck. Good luck <laughs> is a short answer. Yeah. It could have broken, the crane could have collapsed, a whole lot yeah. of things could have happened. So yeah, he's in the gun for industrial manslaughter. Mm. All right. If the company had a prior conviction for a safety system breach around crane usage and Ken was the head of operations at the time, would this increase the likelihood of a custodial sentence for Ken and heighten the penalty for LTL? And the answer yeah. is yes. And I guess this is something that Nina and I constantly advise people about. When you look at breaches of safety, the bottom three breaches of duties, the bottom duties are safe plant or site, safe in that, supervision. and, and supervision is mm-hmm. the third. All of those don't create a lot of officer liability. But when you when you move up to a breach of a system,
0: mm, that's, oh.
1: and particularly where the system breach is one which is controlled by the relevant officer, and then there is another systems breach, particularly if it is the same system, but another systems breach, well, here in this question, it's about crane usage. Yeah. That's a definite go to jail. Yeah. Because what's happening at the moment is, with no prior convictions, people's Convictions are regularly being suspended yeah. on a good behaviour. But the answer is, if you've got a prior, even though you're not personally charged, it's a relevant prior to your stated knowledge. Yeah. On that basis, I reckon Ken can be off to jail for six months.
0: Yeah, they have to. It's got to be mm. for deterrence reasons. Yeah. Right? yeah.
1: Now, will will LTL be guilty of the same offence as Ken? In other words, if Ken is guilty of industrial manslaughter, could LTL be guilty of, of a lesser?
0: No, I think because he's an offside, directly attributable.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's slightly more difficult than that, but I agree with you because he is the active mind of the business. Yeah. So he has the capacity to influence. Yep. He has the financial control, the, the ability to control what needs to be done, and he has the state of knowledge of risk. Yep. I, I think under those circumstances, they are the state of knowledge of the company. When you look at what the company does, it's actually got all the infrastructure that talks about that knowledge. Yep.
0: And ignored it.
1: Yeah, so he's acting as the company when he does it because of an officer. So the short answer is they'd both be guilty of industrial manslaughter. So that's the reason I wanted to do this case Dave, We don't often do just a safety case.
0: No, but I think it's good because it it clearly shows step by step exactly how easy it is to breach. And there's a common misconception that officers can be like, no, look, this is my bad decision. Separate to the company, but it's very closely intertwined.
1: Yeah, and that's what Cordell's case talks about. Yeah. It talks directly about where well, you can't actually separate the actions of Cordell from the Cordell company because actually he is the mind of Cordell Company and he was the person who gave the directions in breach of their own structures and strategy. Yep. Okay. Yep. So look, that's it for today. Yeah. Interesting set of cases. There's some really interesting stuff happening in the next week too. So
0: And Matt will be back.
1: Matt will be back. Mm. That's exciting. It's <laughs> exciting for all of us. We can actually stop sweating so profusely, <laughs> working so hard, and waiting for their issue to attack us. All, all right, right, guys. Give thumbs, it a up. thumbs up. See you later. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye bye.